Hello and welcome to the AMA Update video and podcast, an ongoing series covering a range of topics that are affecting the lives of physicians and patients. Hopefully you have heard at this point about the AMA's recovery plan for America's physicians. And today we're gonna talk about the AMA's recent advocacy efforts in three of those key areas, telehealth, prior authorization, and Medicare payment reform. I'm joined today by Jason Marino, the AMA's Director of Congressional Affairs in Washington, D.C. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, happy to be here, Todd. Well, it has been a very busy time for AMA's advocacy team, and much of that effort, again, has been focused on these key recovery plan for America's physician areas. Uh, Let's start today's discussion with Medicare payment. Uh, New legislation has been introduced. Uh, Talk to us about what's in that legislation and if it passes, what it would mean for physicians. Absolutely. So this is a bill that the AMA worked hard to get introduced that our, our champions, Dr. Barra and Bouchon, uh, introduced. And it deals with a 4.42% cut that physicians are, gonna, physicians are gonna face on January 1st. And as you may recall from pot, pot, um, past podcasts, that, uh, that two years ago in 2020, we were facing a 33% cross the board cut. This was a, a physician fee schedule rule that increased payments for for evaluation and management codes, and it triggers what's called budget neutrality, and it's an across-the-board cut for all physician services. And so we were able to, at the end of 2020 to get that stopped to prevent those cuts. Uh, and then it came back 2021, and last year, we were able to get uh, those cuts also stopped. And we're back again this year. And this year, there's been a, a, a second rule that's come out that increased E&M services for for non-office-based services, that's caused a new 1.42% cut. So you take the 3% existing cut, you add the 1.42, 4.42% cuts January 1st. This bill would stop those cuts and also have a sense of the Congress saying that we need to do some permanent Medicare physician payment reform. That's really important. And in fact, I saw a chart that the AMA advocacy team produced that shows um, uh, most people getting kind of a bigger adjustment, not not so for physicians. So this legislation that you're talking about right now would be, you know, a huge help. Uh, talk to us a little bit more uh, about the AMA, uh, how we're supporting that, and how do physicians out there help? Yes. Yeah, so we went back to our champions. I mentioned Dr. Barrett from California, Democratic member, and Dr. Bouchon also. A, a physician from Indiana, and they've paired up, and they they saw this coming. We saw this coming. This these cuts, and they got a bill dropped, HR eighty eight hundred, and um, we are right now trying to get co sponsors to this bill. We have last it was dropped last week. We already have sixteen. We already have people that have committed to us another ten. So it's growing, and we're encouraging uh, physicians to go to our grassroots website and i'm going to look at this real quick it's the physician grassroots network.org and you go to that site there's pre-written letters or some background materials on what the issue is what the bill is what it does and we're just trying to get members of uh, physicians to reach out to their local member of congress and co-sponsor it at the same time we're trying to get a senate bill a companion bill a same bill dropped in the senate that's still a work in progress 
But once we get that, we'll have some grassroots messaging to get sponsors for that bill. And the bigger picture is we're just trying to get show support. So at the end of the year, when there's a lame duck session of Congress, this issue gets put in there addressed. And, uh, you know, huge uh, thanks to Representatives Barra and Bouchon, uh, the power of having physicians uh, in Congress to support something like this. And we've heard from other congressional supporters just how important letters like this from physicians are. Uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, it doesn't take a million, uh, but your voice really matters. So make sure to take a look at physiciansgrassrootsnetwork.org. Sign up for that and use those templates and let your voice be heard. Uh, Jason, while it would obviously be really good news if this legislation passed, um, you mentioned before, kind of year after year, this temporary fix and the need for a long-term solution. Talk to us about what we're doing at the AMA on real and permanent Medicare reform. So I often get, as, a, as an AMA lobbyist, uh, at the end of the year, this time of year, when we bring up these cut, we're facing cuts, I hear, you're back again? Oh my, we just fixed you guys. <laughs> no, we, we don't want to be back here either, but this payment formula is broken. And if you could start over and design payment formulas for all providers in Medicare, you wouldn't design it this way, especially for physicians. And so we don't want to be back here again. We went through the old SGR days where that was eventually repealed and we had all these bit called the doc fix. And we don't want to be back here. And I know you don't want to deal with it, but here we are. And so we've been working with all of the different uh, physician groups out there that in all the state, med and state medical associations on principles and ideas to what would a permanent reform look like? And a key part of that is there would be some sort of payment update. We wouldn't be the only provider group that has no payment update, no increase at all. And that would not be, that's a big part of it. We have ideas how to restructure to make it more relevant to clinical practice and patient outcomes. And so we're working on that. We sent a letter to the congressional leadership to the House and Senate that got all 50 state medical associations, all the leading physician specialty groups to Congress saying this payment system is broken. It's not working. And you mentioned a chart, Todd, we have two charts. We have one chart that, that we put in the letter that shows the last 21 years, physicians, physicians have only seen a 10% increase in their payments. That's that's 22% um, loss compared to what inflation has been around practice costs. And uh, so 10% and then CPI, just CPI, the 62% in that 21 year. And the other providers, hospitals or stones are getting 60, 65%. So it's been a tough 21 years for physicians. And then we have a new chart that we've introduced that says, well, what about going forward? What's gonna happen in 2023 in January 1st? And we all know we're all living through an inflationary environment where it's 8.3, it's eight plus percent inflation. And our chart says, why is it that physicians are the only provider in Medicare that's not getting an update? Everyone else is, and we're not. And actually we're gonna get cut 4.4%. Why is that? How is that fair? And so we're saying that's, that those charts make the case. And then we're saying, so we do want a permanent reform. We recognize that's not gonna happen this year. But we hope that the next Congress, the 118th Congress, this is one of the top agenda items to fix this so it works better for patients and physicians and for Medicare. And in the meantime, though, we have a series of cuts, uh, the 4.42% cuts that are coming down the pike that we need addressed before the end of the year. And so we're asking Congress during the lame duck session to address these issues, these cuts. 
And that story you told just at the beginning of that, that is the unified voice in action and the kind of data and story that you're pulling together uh, is exactly the kind of role that the AMA plays in bringing an issue like this to light. Uh, Jason, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and move uh, to something called uh, the Improving Seniors Timeless Timely Access to Care Act. This is in the realm of prior authorization. We had uh, Representative Del Beni on uh, a month or two ago to talk about uh, how this bill was uh, moving through Congress. Uh, can you tell us where this legislation stands right now? Yes, yeah, so this is a bill, uh, Congressman Delbany, who spoke on a podcast, and we've gotten favorable reviews on the Hill that people saw it and they, it had an impact and it helped get us co-sponsors. So this bill was dropped back in May of 2021 and we did the old fashioned lobbying campaign where you get a bill dropped, uh, you, you write it the best way you can and, and, and it helped address the problem of, of prior authorization and Medicare Advantage program where the officers are spending time getting claims denied or have to wait arbitrarily only to get it eventually overturned where patients are delaying care while they're waiting for approval. And this, this bill would streamline the Medicare Advantage uh, prior authorization processes and have some transparency. What are the rules of the road? Are they following guidelines? Things that make sense, real-time decision-making. And we did a co-sponsorship campaign and since May of 2021, we have now hit 326 co-sponsors, which is pretty amazing. Bipartisan co-sponsors, Republicans, Democrats, you only have 435 members, so you get 327. So it kind of took a life of its own. That podcast that, po that podcast that you did helped boost those numbers up, but it, it created such a force, momentum, that the Ways and Means Committee, which is jurisdiction, had a markup and, and marked the bill up, and it passed through the committee in a bipartisan way, and then... Uh, the momentum kept going through the August recess. Uh, a lot of the physicians dialed in their members and said, this is an important priority. And we got the Energy and Commerce Committee, the other committee with jurisdiction. They, they adopted it. And that same day, it went to the House floor uh, and it passed by voice vote. I mean, this is the, we're in an eve of an election. These are the contentious times. But here you are, a healthcare bill that passed by voice vote. That tells you how strong and how much people care about this issue. And so we do have some momentum uh, in the Senate. And we have Senator Dr. Marshall from Kansas, and we have Senator Sinema from Arizona. They've teamed up and they have the Senate companion bill. And the Senate with 43 co-sponsors over there. And we're hoping that the Senate can take this and pass it at the end of the year in their lame duck session. And we think it'll make a big difference uh, on, the, on making priorities work better in Medicare Advantage, and then also in private insurance outside of Medicare Advantage is the hope. Um, that is uh, really great news. And, you know, the thing that we learned uh, when Representative Delvenny was on just how personal an issue like prior authorization can be. Uh, we've all experienced it uh, and uh, it really hits home. Uh, so it's great news to see that kind of bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate. And we'll look forward to uh, uh, further updates on that. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox, Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox.
as you kind of look at the larger context of prior authorization, kind of what's the prognosis for additional work from the AMA? I think the first step is to get this bill finalized. And, and the, the one thing that the one, the one uh, thing going against us was the Congressional Budget Office, they score how much legislation costs. And they said they th we thought it would be a low score and they said it was gonna be $16 billion over 10 years. So that's too high. That's a high number and that, that may be too high to pass the Senate. So we're working behind the scenes with the Congressional Budget Office to see if we can get that score in a better place so it can be a little, so it can pass the Senate. But our, our real hope and our strategy here is that you reform Medicare Advantage and it, it has and it will have an influence on the private health plans uh, and, 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 and spread. Because once you retool it, the Medicare Advantage processes for Medicare Advantage, it makes sense to do it for your other plans as well. And that's the hope that that drives some change in a good way where it's a win-win for the patients, the physicians, healthcare costs. No one's saying get rid of prior authorization. We're just saying, let's make it work better. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want your stories out there. So if you've got one and you want to show uh, your voice out there, make sure to visit fixpriorauth.org. Share your stories. Let your voice be heard. Um, Jason, uh, speaking of... Uh, Temporary fixes and working to address those. I want to talk now about telemedicine. Uh, this has been a really important way, of course, through the pandemic as a way for physicians uh, to connect with their patients. Uh, really important from an access and a continuation of this kind of integrated practice. What's the latest there? I would say continued momentum. I think the one positive thing to come out of COVID has been telehealth coverage in Medicare. Before COVID, less than 1% of seniors were using telemedicine and it was because it wasn't covered. And the rule that the laws were outdated and the world had moved on except the coverage hadn't moved on. And then the waivers during COVID have allowed broad coverage of telehealth. And it's been a game changer. One of the number one uh, used services has been mental health care, one hour psychotherapy visits. And there have been, and there still are access problems for mental health care. Then even cancer care, a significant percentage are cancer second opinion on a on a on a, on a on a oncology result. You can do through telemedicine. It's addressed rural areas that didn't had to drive hours to see a physician in person. They can do it through telehealth. Telestroke, literally saving lives uh, um, with the physician on the screen saying, "Should we take that medicine or not?" Decisions can be made and lives saved and 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 cost saved. And there's been a lot of innovation in these last two years in telehealth. And I think members of Congress on both sides of the aisle have seen it. They've heard from their, their constituents back home. This works. We want to keep this. So earlier this spring, we had a bill passed that said, once the public health emergency ends, all this coverage goes away. Uh, and they said, well, we don't want that to happen. So we have enough money to give five months. So once the public health emergency ends, We'll do a five-month extension of coverage, which was a good win. That was a good progress, and I spoke on this this forum before on that. And now the momentum is well. This is working so well, but physicians and patients need a little more certainty. We don't want to think it's just we don't know when the public health emergency is going to be declared over, and we don't want all the coverage to just end. And how do you plan a practice or retool your practice to have more of a telehealth uh, program? Or um, and if you're a patient, you get used to a provider through telehealth. You don't want to worry that it's going to go away. And you want to be able to plan out. And so we've gotten a lot of momentum for at least a short-term 
a two year, the hope is that, so this came to a vote that they had in the House side, House Representatives a month ago or so, and they didn't expect the vote that they got, but they got 416 to 12 and wow. 416 support. We called it a jailbreak vote. It was, everyone wanted to be part of this. It showed momentum and clear will. And now we're the Senate, we're trying to get some momentum in the Senate to say this, the House has spoken on this one. It makes a lot of sense. Before you leave in a lame duck session, two-year extension, we think it makes sense. Jason, what kind of provisions are we looking for uh, in a, uh, let's call it a permanent extension? So we're looking for that you can do telehealth. They, we call it, it's called originating site. Where do you do telehealth? The, the current law before COVID was you had to go, you had to be in a rural area and be in some old satellite campus when they, the technology was different. We're saying, get rid of this originating site. You can do telehealth from your car, from your home, from the library, from your work, anywhere the patient is where they can reach the physician. Let's lift that. And, and geographic site, anywhere in the country, you don't have to just be in a super rural area that the current law has says. You can do it from anywhere. Those are core things. And we also don't want a bunch of um, arbitrary restrictions on what's covered uh, that's not, that, that don't exist for in-person visits. And for instance, there's some proposals that say, well, there'll be certain audits triggered if a certain services hit a certain spending threshold and the physician would be audited. That's, 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 that can have a chilling effect and be arbitrary and create a different standard for the same service, whether it's in-person or, or two-way audiovisual. And I'll, I'm happy to say that what passed the house and what has a lot of momentum is clean, clean coverage. Uh, and that's what we're hoping to keep it clean. I will say, that one of the barriers to permanent coverage, why can't we just do permanent right now? If it's so bipartisan, so much well. The reason is there's concern that there could be increased utilization where there'll be a lot more usage. It'll be in-person and, and telehealth visits and it will, it'll, it'll increase the cost of Medicare. And I will say so far, we have not seen that spike. It's, the levels have normalized, we haven't seen that. The other concern is that there'll be rampant fraud and abuse. Uh, and, and so far, the Inspector General of HHS has issued a report recently that, that hasn't shown signs of that. There will always be abuse, anything with Medicare, there are always bad actors, but it, it, that's existed since the beginning of the program. And, and we argue that the administration, HHS, Health and Human Services, has the tools to go after that, to go after abuse. And we haven't seen any big spike in, in that, but also the Congressional Budget Office, I mentioned earlier in the, Medic in the prior authorization bill, they scored how much bill is going to cost, and that's what Congress has to follow. It's like the referee in a football game makes the call. You have to stick with that. And they want to see some time go by and see, is there a spike in utilization? Is there a spike in front of use or not? And they're going to score it that way. And so it might take a little more time. I just like where we stand as far as the patients like it, physicians like it, it's working. I like where we, I, I, I would predict we're going to get to the permanent uh, down in the future. And I think, uh, Jason, you can kind of uh, clarify this, but part of that long-term vision is about telehealth being used by physicians as an integrated part of patient care. You know, it you know quickly ballooned in the pandemic. And we, you know, the perspective here is to keep that as a valuable part of integrated patient care. Tell us more about how that particular vision drives uh, the AMA's advocacy work. Yes, because think about it, if um, patients that have a chronic condition or two chronic conditions and they have issues with mobility, there's things you can do 
with remote patient monitoring and telehealth combined, where that patient doesn't have to leave to drive or get our transportation to a physician practice or not. And then real-time monitoring of their, oh, I noticed that your this level has spiked and let's find out why. And you can do that through two-way audio without having to come in. And also you can prevent unnecessary uh, ER admissions. If you're someone who's borderline condition um, and they, their condition could worsen, but if you can monitor it through telehealth, you can prevent an expensive and costly ER visit. And you can also potentially get patients out of the hospital sooner because you can do things through, through, through telehealth. And that's a way to um, save money. Works for, it's convenient for patients, but it's not just about convenience, it's about good clinical improvements and innovation. And you can even do, I was mentioning telestroke, you can do even some emergent care, you can triage things, makes a difference. Really works well for psycho for for um, uh, psychiatric care because I think some patients like the it's more confidential. You're not going to an office. It's a it's a some people are very comfortable with that modality of it. You can build trust through that, and that's a, that's a positive. So there's been lots of positives, and and I think if if there was a certainty of permanent coverage for Medicare, I think there might be more investment and even more innovation. Jason, thanks so much for being here today. There's a lot of news uh, from the AMA advocacy team, a lot of work that's being done on the Hill. Thanks out there to all our supporters uh, for helping drive these really important patient-based uh, initiatives out there. Uh, I encourage you to find out more about what the AMA is doing and all these key areas that make up uh, the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians. Uh, you can visit our website, ama-assn.org, and find out all about that. Again, make sure your voice is heard. It's really important. Uh, we'll be back soon with another AMA update. In the meantime, you can check out all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcast. Thanks for being with us here today, and please take care. <music>